Hello. I have an invitation to tea with the Queen. Yes, Emma's been expecting you. Please come in. I think that we just massively underestimate, especially as women, our own capability and awesomeness. And it, it's changed. It's changed my life completely. Yeah. Sometimes I think you go through this journey as a business owner and think you're a bit crazy. You're like, who am I to have this dream? Well, I just think women are hard on themselves. I wish I had been more confident in what I was capable of. But I feel like you do what feels right for you, then that's going to be always on brand. Women, our natural inclination is to be pleasers and to put other people before self. I've never had a tea with the Queen before and this is such a pleasure. <laughs> Hello, I'm Emma McQueen and welcome to Tea with the Queen. My guest today is an amazing entrepreneur and innovator with energy, compassion and enthusiasm for business and life. But it came with a number of hardships early on. When Ibru Sack was 16 years old, her dad took her out of school and into an arranged marriage. She had the courage, though, to divorce and follow her dreams of opening a hairdressing and beauty salon. Today, Ibru is the owner of Sack's Salons in Melbourne's North, as well as inventor and innovator of her own range of cosmetic products, including Duo, a lipstick and lip liner combination, the Fast and Fabulous Makeup Kit, and Color Express, a quick regrowth color application. I'm so impressed by Ebru, her attitude and her love for others. Ebru, thank you so much for joining Tea with the Queen. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you, Emma, for having me. And uh, I was really looking forward to having Tea with the Queen. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone loves Tea with the Queen, let me tell you. I love your work. Thank you so much. I want to jump straight in and say, how old were you when you and your family first arrived in Australia? I was only one. Whoa. I was one when um, my parents migrated to this country and from Melbourne Airport, we were taken to the Broadmeadows Army barracks there, like a big load of Turkish migrants. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That was many, many years ago. And what was your childhood like? Your dad was pretty overbearing, wasn't he, or overpowering? He was the boss and in our culture, how I grew up was that the male was the boss and what he said went and if he didn't want you to talk, you don't talk. Um, So he was a big powerful figure for me growing up and someone to uh, also fear as well. Yeah, things have changed now. But back then things changed when your dad won Tats Lotto. Tell us about that. Yes, my dad um, used to play Tesla every week uh, with the hope that he would become a very wealthy. And one day it actually happened. Amazing. I've never met anyone who's actually won Lotto. Really? He won six numbers in Tesla. And we're talking in the year 1977, 78. So he won $96,000 back then. Wow. It was when you filled out the tats lotto with a pen and put a cross on the numbers and you get a carbon copy of it. Yes, I remember, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it gives the age away, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that was massive money back then. That was equivalent to about three good homes today. So if the average home today is 1.5, so you're looking, it was about 4.5 million in today's money. 
And all of a sudden, he was a wealthy man. And that changed things quite a bit, actually, in that um, he had now more funds to fuel his gambling addiction. And, yeah, you know, sometimes coming into unexpected wealth can be good and sometimes it actually works not very nicely for the people that cannot manage money or people who have addictions. You kind of go round circle and find yourself exactly where you began uh, because it wasn't worked for. Yeah. Did you guys go back to Turkey because of this? Um, yes, not long after that, um, we went to Turkey. My dad decided to, now that he was a wealthy man, his money was translated to bigger money in Turkey. So he would have had bigger respect over there. So sold up everything here, went back to Turkey. And and there was other reasons for that because, you know, the daughter, me, was um, growing up now, becoming a teenager. I was 14 at that time. And my older brother who started to have girlfriends because he got his license and that was a no-no. You can't have own girlfriends. So he made the decision on behalf of the whole family and we all went back. And um, the first thing he did was send my brother off to the national service to the army. I don't think he ever recovered from that. So I was at home tinkering. I couldn't go to school because I really didn't know the language. I grew up in Australia, you know, did my primary school and I did um, some of my high school and then was taken out. So I would ponder around at home sewing. I love arts and crafts sewing, but I actually spent a lot of time in my uncle's hairdressing salon, sweeping the floors, you know, it was a place where I was trusted to go. I was allowed to, you know, you, you just can't grab your bag and say, I'm going out with some friends. But that was a place I was trusted to be. And and I loved it there. I, I absolutely loved being in that atmosphere. It was my happy place away from the very grey atmosphere at home. Yeah, sounds really tough. And the decisions that your dad made obviously has impacted everyone in some really interesting ways. Absolutely. Tell us about your forced marriage. Well, you know, by age 16, my parents wanted to, they were planning to make their way back in the next couple of years. But when you're 16, you're ready for marriage before, yeah, before the girl starts to open her eyes, if you like. That's saying in Turkish. Before the eyes are open, you want to find them their home and their marriage so you grow up belonging to somebody's daughter then you become somebody's wife and uh, there were a number of people that would come to ask for a girl's hand in marriage so and me having an Australian passport I was even the more like sought after oh right so I was very young so I could be molded into whoever they wanted me to be. And I also had an Australian passport ticket to freedom. So there was a lot of candidates, if you like. So one of the candidates were chosen and um, I was married. Were they chosen by you? I'm assuming not. Oh, look, the shortlisted was. Um, and, you know, and then my dad said that, you know, he's good because he has a skill set. He's older 
So he's 10 years older, meaning he will be able to grab the ropes and, you know, take over from me. So the girl being so young won't stray. It's just amazing. You hear about these stories all the time. And my background is World Vision. Wow. And yeah, so we hear lots of, we used to hear lots of stories about child brides and sex trafficking and a whole stack of yeah. other stuff. And it just takes me a bit back to that. And um, yes. Man, it's uh, it's crazy that it wasn't that long ago. Yes, actually, you know, it still goes on in our culture. There is few and far between, but it still happens. Right, right. Yeah, it needs to change. So you got married and you returned to Australia with your hubby. What happened next? That's correct. I imported him. <laughs> <laughs> imported him. He obviously wanted to come, though, right? Oh, oh, that was his purpose, yes. And um, I was never going to get into the importing and exporting business ever again. (laughs) I love that. um, We did come and I think back to all of those years at times, not very often, but at times, and I think I belonged to the family, my father, my mother, where I was their interpreter because they came into this country and all they did was work. They refused to adapt, if you like, because the mentality was always to go back to their homeland. So it's like, why learn how to speak English? My mother is illiterate. She actually cannot read and write, even in Turkish. So I was the interpreter. So when I changed masters, if you like, and married, I now became his interpreter. He didn't have a word of English. So It was my duty to find a rental property. It was my duty to find him a job and do all of his interpreting, buy the car, pay the bills. Everything. Wow. Wow. At such a young age, I had this I actually looked a lot older than what I was. And it's amazing how, you know, physically we adapt to our state of mind. Yes. And some photos I look back and I think, oh, my God, I look younger today. Yeah, right. And so what what happened? How long were you married for? So I was married for approximately four to five years. And the only beautiful thing that came out of that marriage is my firstborn daughter. Um, It was a very dark time in my life. Yeah. He became increasingly violent. He just found that Australia was his playground and that's what he was doing. He was having a good play and not very happy, obviously, with an unhappy wife. And so the uh, physical abuse just became a little bit unbearable. When my daughter was born, you know, it just one day occurred to me that I'm allowing this beautiful soul to grow up and think this is normal. Yeah, okay. And she was my inspiration to first of all plant the seed in my head that I choose not to live like this the rest of my life and I need to find a way to get out. Yeah, right. And you did find a way. You got free and then it feels like your entrepreneurial spirit just went bang, it's out. You started a beauty, a hair and a beauty salon. I did. That that would have been tough as a single mum. It was very tough. Um, I, at the time, went into partnership with a friend of mine which actually didn't result in a nice ending. The relationship soured, our friendship soured. However, 
I learned so much from that experience. Firstly, how to run a business and secondly, to really think before taking a step in business. It's very easy to get excited and be seduced by the glamour of the business or in my case, the glamour of setting up a hair salon, having your own business cards, but it's a totally different field of running a business and oftentimes it is the skilled person that sets up the business and we just get so consumed by the having fun doing what we because we do it because we love it but there are crucial things that one needs to know about behind the scenes and so that first business with a friend of mine in partnership as much as it was a detriment to me at the time, I learned so much that was gold. I still bring it today into my business, more of the learnings along the way, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting when people come to me and they're like, we, we're friends and we want to become business partners. I'm like, have you got your legal sorted? Do you know exactly which role each of you are going to play? And if you don't answer those two questions, let's just stop there and let's go and get that. But Because it does... I've had to mediate on so many different business partnerships and pull them apart and oh it's a nightmare but um it sounds like you did learn a lot and you opened a second salon and then you came up with this simple yet revolutionary idea a unique cosmetic line called duo can you tell me about that yes yeah, certainly i'm a problem solver emma yeah <laughs> beginning to get that <laughs> even in my private life. But um, so I've, I've got this salon and I was doing a lot of on location photo shoots as hair and makeup, session stylist, doing a bit of magazine work. And precision is really key when you're doing makeup and having close up photos taken. So it dawned on to me that it was really difficult for me to find a lip liner that is color matched with a specific colour lipstick. And back then, we're talking in the late 80s, early 90s now, where lipsticks and lip liners were the thing, (laughs) a lot of colour. And so I'd go into department stores or wherever they'd sell makeup to um, buy my products and there'd be, say, uh, 30 to 40 or 50 shades of reds, but there'd only be four or five shades of red lip liners. And I thought there's got to be a colour matched lipstick to a lip liner. So I searched the global market. Now, back then, there was no internet, Emma. Yeah, I know. When you say search, that would have meant travel, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, no travel. Phone calls and faxes. Faxes. (laughs) People still do use faxes, you know. There were the yellow pages and the white pages and um, phone calls overseas. You know, you dial the double O, double one. And And there was nobody in the global market that had manufactured a colour matched lip liner to a lipstick and put it into the one capsule because whenever I'd go on location, I was surely to lose some lip liner caps and that would colour everything else in my basket. So I sat down and I drew this one day and I thought, imagine if I had this product, how easy my life would be. And so I started to put an elastic band around colour matched lip liners and lipsticks of different brands. And wherever I went doing makeup, people would think, oh, that's intelligent. 
I'm going to do that too from now on. So the word got out and everyone started in the salon. Everyone was doing this um, elastic band around the two products. But I actually drew this product and in my mind visualized it. I said, this has got to be. Nobody's done this, but we all want it. Whoever I speak to says, oh, my God, I'd buy a product like that. Yeah. And so that's where the journey began of three and a half years of research and development and a lot of closed doors and that, you know, big businessman who said, like, you can't do this, Ebrew. I mean, and I thought to myself for a while, who am I? I'm just a year 10 graduate. Look at where I've come from. I was always drummed into me by my parents that, look, you're just going to end up working in a factory anyway. So who do you think you are? But I wanted to break that chain for my child at least. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to do this. I don't care how many doors close on me. I'm going to do this. And, it, you know, it was a rocky road, but there was a lot of funny parts to it where I finally got it to a place where I got my investors, manufacturers, and we'd have meetings and, you know, they'd say, okay, Ebrew, so what's the plan to go to market? And I'd be like, what do you mean? This is not going to sell at the Queen Victoria market. This is- <laughs> Can you imagine how naive? <laughs> oh, bless. I love it. Marketing to me was going to big market. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but a long story short, it did launch, launched it, and we were selling in Daimaru, David Jones. We were in major department stores. But it was just too big. I created this monster, but I didn't have the foundation. Yes. And big people, big business, cosmetic companies did not want me in big stores, and so I sold out. It's a tough market. Tough market, but it was the best learning experience ever. Well, it catapulted you because you then created some more innovative products, so Fast and Fabulous and Colour Express. And while I was doing my research, I'm like, this is amazing. (laughs) Thank you. You know, once upon a time, lipstick and lip liner were really important for me, but now as I've matured, yeah. <laughs> Less is more. Yes. I hear you. I mean, you you're preaching to the converted. I don't think I I don't think I'm wearing makeup. <laughs> I need it. You look gorgeous. Oh, thank you. So tell us how important then is it to keep evolving and innovating, especially for a smaller business because you've done that so many times. Absolutely important. I think, you know, staying current and adapting to change is really the key. If you don't adapt to change, you'll get left behind. And one way of that I've done this in my salon, I'm celebrating 12 years with my current salon now, so I'm really... Yay, congratulations. Thank you so much. Where is your salon? I'm in Coburg in Melbourne uh, in the northern suburbs. It's called Black Salons. And um, so this is our 12th year. But, you know, I have a very high retention rate. We've got beautiful, loyal clients. And what I have noticed, and this is how change comes about, is that as I matured, I also needed my regrowth colour done more frequently. Yeah. We have grey hair. And so I'd have these ladies who now working mothers, they're busy to find, you know, two hours every four weeks to get their regrowth colour done was a luxury. Yes. 
So they'd stretch out the time in between colours, not a pretty look, or they'd go and get a box colour, make a mess in the bathroom and do it themselves. And I thought to myself, I've been colouring my mother's hair since I was 10 years old. What about if I do your application and fit you with a headband, a reusable headband, and you go home and I'll text you when you need to wash your hair? I know, I love it. That's called the quickie, right? That's the quickie. (laughs) The quickie. And now the quickie is our biggest seller. It is the main a service in the salon that we do mostly. Amazing. And women love it. Of and course they do. salon that does it. So I've branded it as Colour Express and the main uh, service is the Quickie. So now they come and tell me some fun they have at home with it. Um, you know, she goes, I was on the phone to you booking a Quickie, Ebru, and my husband's <laughs> sitting next to me saying, not next to me, honey, please, don't book the Quickie in next to me. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Oh, so so good for social media, really, Ebru, isn't it? So good. So the last two years of COVID, you've been quite successful, as I understand it. What, what did you do to weather the storm? Well, you know, again, we have to adapt to change. And the first time they announced the lockdown, we were supposed to lock down for two weeks, I think. And as soon as I closed the shop on that day, I thought to myself, oh, my God, what about my clients who are due for a regrowth colour in the next two weeks? If that was me, what would I do? And I said, oh, well, all I need is the colour and someone to show me how to do this at home and I will be fine. So I went home that afternoon, did my own regrowth colour in front of the camera, showing them exactly how to mix the colour and how to apply it and then when to wash it off, put it up on the website, sent it out to all my clients and it was just such a hit. So I had a permit to come into the salon to do click and collect. So I would prepare these colours in their own custom blend and I would be in the salon every day selling these custom blend colors to my clients and with that they'd buy product and yeah it was just amazing absolutely amazing despite or maybe because of what you've been through in your life you're obviously very resilient and can bounce back I can hear in your voice you radiate optimism and energy and I love that because I do too what's your secret oh the secret is first of all we are here right now and this moment is our greatest gift that's the present because we don't know what's around the corner i am so blessed that i get to hear stories from people from all walks of life happy and sad and i think how grateful are we right now to be able to breathe and have opportunities in this country and i just want to make the most of it today i want to if i can pass on one little gift to somebody that has enriched me and to be the woman that i would love to see my girls become i have three girls oh you have three now and how old are your children now I have my youngest is 15, then 17, and my firstborn, Scylla, who's in her 30s, and they're just the blessings of my life. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, you're such a lovely role model to women, but also your daughters, and showing them that, you know, generationally things can you can restart. You can. You don't have to put up with the history Absolutely. that is given to us, right? Absolutely. Yes, you can. And it all starts in the mind. Yes, absolutely. The state of mind 
and then the state of heart and you can conquer anything. I love it. How did you, on those days where it was really hard, how did you manage your mindset to keep that optimism up? Always keeping the vision alive because that gives me energy. You know, when I can see what I can achieve and what I have achieved, when I focus on that, it just gives me energy. And I think, you know what? Yes, you've just got to get up and do it. It's taking action. And sometimes we don't even want to take action. We're such in a dark place. But those are the days we need to muster up the courage, not on good days. Good days, it comes naturally anyway. You know, I mean, we're on a high, we're on a high. But you know, when you're on that low, to be kind to yourself and just gently, you can do this. Take 10 steps today. Yes. Just what's the next step forward, right? I think when I wrote my book, I talked a lot about motivation and how it fades. But action just helps us. You know, you just got to take the next step and the next step. And Absolutely. What a lovely chat. Thank you so much for your time, Ebru. It was so lovely to chat with you and um, just so it's so lovely to hear of someone who did well in COVID and um, created a service that kept her clients loyal and coming back. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Oh, Emma, thank you so much for having me. You are so easy to speak with. I can't believe it's over. (laughs) That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you want to contact me directly, all my details are at my website, emmamcqueen.com.au. I look forward to your company next episode. I'm Emma McQueen. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for coming.